This episode of TGC Podcast is sponsored by Acts 29 with an invitation to their 2024 Next Conference happening April 15th through the 17th in Dallas, Texas. You don't want to miss this great lineup of speakers, including Sam Albury, Matt Chandler, Brian Loritz, John Piper, and more. The Next Conference will equip and encourage church planters and church leaders of all types for church ministry. To learn more and register for Next, visit acts29.com slash next. TGC podcast listeners will receive a special discount of $20 off registration prices by using the code TGC. Again, visit acts29.com slash next. That's acts29.com slash next. This episode of TGC Podcast is brought to you by Crossway. In today's rapidly changing culture, ancient liturgical tradition is not only biblical, it's essential. In Crisis of Confidence, Carl Truman analyzes how creeds and confessions can help the Christian church navigate modern concerns, particularly around the fraught issue of identity. He contends that statements of faith promote humility, moral structure, and a godly view of personhood, helping believers maintain a strong foundation amid a culture in crisis. Pick up a copy of Crisis of Confidence wherever books are sold, or visit crossway.org plus to find out how you can get 30% off. You're listening to the Gospel Coalition Podcast equipping the next generation of believers, pastors, and church leaders to shape life and ministry around the gospel. Today on TGC Podcast, you'll hear a clip of a conversation between Colin Hansen and David Platt from TGC's Gospel Bound Podcast. You can listen and subscribe to Gospel Bound on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts. So be sure to check it out and subscribe after today's episode. Now here's a clip of a conversation with Colin Hansen and David Platt on the upcoming election and what Christians should consider before voting, trusting in Jesus no matter the outcome. Elections have consequences, but not nearly as much as we probably think. That's what I concluded after reading David Platt's new book, Before You Vote, Seven Questions Every Christian Should Ask, published by Radical. Here's a sober dose of biblical reality from Platt in the book. Quote, Even if we lose every freedom and protection we have as followers of Jesus in the United States, and even if our government were to become a completely totalitarian regime, we could still live an abundant life as long as we didn't look to political leaders, platforms, or policies for our ultimate security and satisfaction. End quote. It's not exactly the way you run fundraising and get out the vote operations in today's American politics. But Platt's book includes lots of countercultural advice, saturated with biblical references on humility, freedom, and duty, along with David's characteristic perspective informed by the global church. Platt serves as lead pastor of McLean Bible Church in Northern Virginia, a congregation where employment for many depends on the outcome of the November elections. David joins me on Gospel Bound to discuss voting, abortion, and President Trump's visit to McLean Bible Church. Thank you for joining me, David. Good to be here, Colin. David, most pastors I know would rather submit to a root canal than talk to their congregations about voting in the middle of a presidential election, but you wrote a book. Why? (laughs) That's a a great question and one that I've asked myself uh, on numerous occasions, Colin. I, I would say the way I look at it, pastorally, people are either going, the people that I shepherd are either going to be discipled by the world 
or they're going to be discipled by God's word on the critical issues going on around us in the world. And I just don't think I have the option of sitting back and staying quiet and letting them be discipled by the world on these things. And so I, I, I don't want this toxic political climate that we're in and even the effects that it has on the church to be what is discipling the people God's entrusted to my care. Like I, I want God's word to the extent with which God's word speaks to certain things. So the last thing I want to do is add to God's word or, or like shepherd people, according to my opinions. Okay. Now that's just a whole nother realm of unfaithful pastoring, but, but I, I want to faithfully shepherd them with God's word and help them see how God's word addresses the most pressing issues around us. And if we're walking through this election and when I see, and certainly it's, I think, more so here in Metro Washington, D.C., but just the effects of this toxic political climate on the church and the ways it has affected unity in the church and the centrality of the gospel, I, I just am compelled to speak. You started your pastoral career pretty young here in Birmingham, and have you seen Christian approaches to politics change during that time while you've been a pastor? I would say pastoring in Metro Washington, D.C. is a right. little different than pastoring in Birmingham. So uh, just the, yeah, there's a variety of things that are different. Obviously, the word's the same. And I would say, I guess one, one of the things, this is one of the things that prompted me to write this book in particular that I think has changed, or at least I've heard more uh, over the last two election cycles, more people saying, you can't be a Christian and vote for fill in the blank. And it comes from both sides and I hear it from both sides. And when I hear that kind of rhetoric, that kind of language being used, then that's what concerns me when I'm in a Ephesians four or three kind of way, just eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace uh, and not a false unity, but a unity around Jesus and his word. Um, so I've heard that a lot more and seen over the last two election cycles, in my eyes as a pastor, seeing a lot more challenges to the church in uh, the climate we've been in. Let's grant, David, that you don't see this election as rising to that standard. Could you ever see a situation rising to the point of you can't be a Christian and vote for X candidate? I think it would have to be, and, and I use an example of this in the book, like if there was a situation where you have Okay, a follower of Jesus who is saying they believe the Bible, it's evident in their life, their character, their their policy positions, which the Bible doesn't speak specifically to, but you can see how they get there based on just wisely trying to apply scripture. And then you have a another candidate on another side who uh, is very anti-God, the Bible, and seems like is totally against everything, like to everything that the Bible would teach, it seems like, okay, in that situation, it's probably going to be pretty clear. But I, I don't think that uh, it's that clear cut in our current climate. But that's part of the challenge, Colin, because right. people think it is that clear cut. And it's interesting, there's people on both sides that think it's right. that clear cut. That's what I was getting at. Sometimes these arguments can make it sound like we're trying to just stay above the fray and be a third way and just try to try to handle everything with balance when really it's a matter of spectrum. Everybody agrees there could come a point where that would be the case. 
but we're disagreeing about whether or not this is that point. And we're disagreeing about which side is bringing it to that point. <laughs> yes. That's why things are really complicated. Because when once we bring in, like we're questioning people's orthodoxy based on how they vote. We're questioning whether or not people are, like there are books that have been written that, that I've read by professing Christians saying you cannot be a genuine follower of Jesus. You can't l- actually love Jesus and vote for Donald Trump. Like there's books written that say that. Then there's on the other side, like you cannot love the Bible and and be a follower of Jesus and vote for uh, the Democratic Party or a Democratic candidate. And so it really is. It's it's both sides. And I'm not. I'm definitely not, and that's what I want to. I try to be clear in throughout the book is is I'm not not saying okay which one's right, which one's wrong. I'm not even saying they're both on the same exact moral ground. Both parties, both candidates. I'm just saying how do we keep focus on the centrality of Jesus in the middle of it, love for one another in the middle of it, and uh, making sure we only use language like you can't be a Christian if when God has used that kind of language in His Word. Let's jump straight to one of the examples that's typically cited, especially from the right. And of course, that's abortion. Mm -hmm. One of the things you show in the book is that Christians could agree that abortion is wrong, but still vote differently from each other. Now, I can follow your argument there, but I'm wondering, would the argument be the same if the issue you were actually addressing were genocide or slavery? Yeah, so that's a great question. One of the things... Uh, in the book that I try to do is kind of unpack both like biblical clarity and practical consequences. And on the practical consequence side, and I, I want to step back and just make sure it's clear even for the for this conversation, like, yes, the Bible clearly speaks about the preciousness of life in the womb, and we should work for every child in the womb, like work hard. And I've spent years trying to do that and will continue to do that um, zealously. So, uh, and every follower of Christ should do this because the Bible is clear on that. So then the question is, uh, so you think about the practical consequences. So when I talk with followers of Jesus who would say, okay, but I would still vote for a democratic candidate because, and the example I use in the book is, uh, Someone saying, I don't think the presidential election is what's going to be the biggest determinant in saving children's lives in the womb. Now, at that point, a number of people would say, but it is. So that's a good discussion that we should have. But it's possible to say, I I was talking the other day with somebody who said, um, and so this is specific to Northern Virginia and the state of Virginia, but who said they are zealously pro-life and that's why they are voting for uh, Joe Biden. And I was like, okay, help me help me, un- like, <laughs> help me unpack that. And they said, well, because they believe that the, so we had a midterm election in Virginia where everything went toward uh, like the governor, all the legislature is democratic. And there have been all kinds of moves that have been made to make abortion much more accessible, much more prevalent. Their contention is, this person who's speaking to me, their contention is that that happened as a response to uh, the way President Trump has led, that that's what led, so that they're they're basically saying, 
that there was a reaction in Virginia against the way the Republican Party has been moving. And as a result, there's all there's it's a totally democratically controlled legislature and there's more abortions as a result of the way President Trump has led. So I'm not saying that that is okay. that everybody should believe that. But it's possible for a follower of Jesus to believe that. So it's it's definitely possible for followers of Jesus to believe that abortion is wrong and still not vote for President Trump for a number of other reasons. To come back to, sorry, this is a long answer, but I feel like it's like so nuanced in so many ways. But uh, to come back to the genocide slavery, I think the question is, would voting for a particular candidate ensure or definitely guarantee or increase a high probability of genocide or slavery ending? That's the question we would need to ask in an election where those two issues were at stake. One of the problems we run into is that it's in the interest of most media and in the interest of most politicians to not be nuanced and to not give people options and to ratchet up the dramatic effects. That's part of the catechesis. That's part of the discipleship that I think you're talking about Mm. there of what we're contending with there. So I think sometimes I'll ask this question pretty often with pastors because we see abortion as being a fairly nuanced issue, but we wouldn't see genocide or slavery as being nuanced issues. And it's a hard question to answer. I don't know that anybody has a perfect answer to that. I just talked with David French about this related to slavery. One of the problems is you can easily know which is the right side to be on with slavery. That's not a hard thing to be able to figure out. But the practical consequences of how this nation banned slavery wasn't entirely positive. Hmm. There's there's a debatable political calculus there about the best way to go about it, even if you completely agree on the outcome of it. Then you're throwing in another layer there, which makes it a, a little bit easier of a lot of Christians at the time who believed the Bible were saying that slavery is a good thing. And you do have some Christians saying that about abortion today, which is completely heinous Hmm. and horrible. So that part is clear. But I guess I wanted to say that's part of why your book is pretty helpful is because it distinguishes between the biblical principles and the practical consequences. And it seems like for reasons that I talked about earlier, those distinctions are often elided by politicians and by media in many cases. It's just hard to have a conversation about this over Twitter or Facebook or uh, email for that matter. Like, uh, and it's really apart from good, loving, caring Christian community where we're quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to become angry. And we're really able to have like really good dialogue about these things. And so, but, and, and that's what I appreciate what you said and even described abortion uh, and, and, like we're, we're not nuanced about abortion right? in the sense that what the Bible says about it, like that's clear. And so many other issues that are a part of an election. And that's one of the things I walked through in the book. Like if abortion was the only issue in an election, okay, then every Christian would vote the exact same way. Like, but it's not the only issue. There are other issues. Now at that point, some people would say, but they're not as important, but that's where one of the chapters uh, in the book is just like, how do we weigh the issues and the practical consequences that we see coming from those issues? So political calculations are often complex, um, but biblical truth is clear. And we all want to hold on to that like steadfast. And I don't want in any way to advocate for being flimsy, fuzzy on that which scripture has spoken 
clearly on. And uh, so how do we hold tight to that which scripture has spoken clearly on and then think through how to apply that in the world as wisely as possible and realize different genuine followers of Jesus who hold fast to scripture are going to come to some different conclusions. Believe it or not, David, these were the hard questions that I was going to wait to talk to you about till the end of the interview. That's the old interview tactic. You wait till the end. You warm the guy up, and then he can, you know, feels more comfortable toward the end. But we're just jumping straight in. I have one more along those lines. It's a little broader, though. Most Christians ad- they admit when it comes to tax policy, there's room to disagree. The Bible doesn't really give us a ton to go on when it comes to specific tax policy. Is there any current political issue where you don't see any room for Christians to disagree on goals or strategies? Hmm. Goals or strategies. Yeah. Man. Like, is there anything where it's just, yeah, this is totally straightforward. You really do need to do this. Yeah. So when I think of many of the social issues at stake in election, including abortion, as well as marriage, yeah, issues revolving around sexuality. Uh, we'll just take, I mean, we can take any one of these, but marriage, like it's clear what the Bible says. And so we need to promote a biblical view of marriage as a union between a man and a woman. Um, and so when, when it comes to, well, I mean, when we've walked through as a country, like how are we going to define marriage? Like everything we do as Christians to be focused on promoting a, a biblical view of marriage at the same time. So not like pulling back from that. Like it's, it's rare that we get to vote and it's just crystal clear. Do you believe marriage is this or that? There's often 10 other issues. So that's one of the things I walked through in the book. There's, there's so many other issues that you start dealing with competing injustices and you start realize, okay, this person this candidate is going to promote biblical marriage, but they're not going to do this over here, which I, I think would be helpful. And this candidate over here is going to do that, but not going to do this. And then that's where you start to weigh those decisions. I just, I think the way our elections work, especially in a two-party system where you have two choices, it's not going to be that clear cut in the kind of elections that we do in conversations about marriage, about sexuality, about abortion and uh, strategies for how to go about that. I think that is where strategies is definitely going to get more nuanced and maybe variable because uh, you can have the same end, but the means to get there, you might think this is wiser or that is wiser. It seems odd to say, David, but a lot of our younger listeners probably don't remember that within not that long ago, we were voting on marriage. Yeah. I mean, we're voting straight up on that issue in a number of different states, and we would have voted on it even in states like Alabama, if not for the Supreme Court's Obergefell decision, which took it out of of that that democratic realm. And interestingly, the Republican Party more or less stopped even bothering Hmm. with it at that point, which speaks into the issue of what the parties are trying to do with the voters, because you can talk about your conscience all you want. You can talk about your values, what we believe as Christians all you want. But if neither of the political parties thinks that it's advantageous for them to promote that view politically, then it's not even within the realm of possibility for us to talk about. So that's just another realm of something that's gone from being a 
oh, you could probably have stood up in your pulpit in Birmingham, Alabama, and told everybody, hey, everybody, it's real clear. Go out there and vote no (laughs) when it comes to gay marriage. But then you didn't even have that chance because of all kinds of different other issues. And it becomes much more complicated. I think about uh, there was uh, some legislation last year here in Northern Virginia when it came to our school board and uh, some issues about sexuality that they were going to be in promoting in schools. And so I, I walked through that Sunday, just clearly what the Bible teaches about sexuality. Um, and it was, I'm trying to remember, I don't know, I have to look back at what other issues were there, but to the extent with which, to this question, like to the extent with which that was the only issue at stake and the Bible's clearly spoken on that issue, then I think it, it makes sense to say, so followers of Christ, we promote this truth. Like that's straight from God's word. It's when you add on other factors, i.e. other issues, personality, character, the people promoting those issues, whatever else, uh, just a, a myriad of other things. That's where the complications come in sometimes. Thanks for listening to this clip from Gospel Bound. To listen to the rest of this conversation and more episodes, check out Gospel Bound on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere you get your podcasts.